We're going to be in Mark chapter 14 to begin with. Mark chapter 14. Beginning with verse 22. And while they're reading, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them and said, This is, take it, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I shall never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day. When I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Several with prayer. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for the opportunity to come together and to share in songs of faith and praise and to share in your word. Uh, we ask your blessing on those who may be uh, participating with us at home and also on those who are on the camp out at Big Hill, uh, several members of this congregation as they share together out there. Father, we give you thanks for the word which is so clear to us and what you'd like for us to know, understand, and obey. And we pray your blessings on our efforts to do that today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> I want to know if we have any uh, blue, blood, blue blood spans here. Maybe you don't even know what I'm talking about. If, if, you, if you were a Blue Bloods fan, you would know what I'm talking about. Okay, got a hand up back there. All right, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay, Tom Selleck, as the New York Police Commissioner for the last six or seven years, 9 o'clock, Friday night on CBS. It's the only show outside of Bull on Monday night. There's just two shows we faithfully watch prime time on the major channels. Those are the two. Carol, not so much on Blue Bloods, but me very faithfully. Uh, it's about a family, Tom Select being the dad. His father is there. His children are there. His grandchildren are there. And everybody <coughs> has been on the police force, all the adults, except for the daughter who is uh, a DA. Uh, there's one particular episode that I want to talk about just for a minute, and that is, uh, it's an episode where the youngest son, there are three sons, one son deceased, killed in action on the police force, three sons and one daughter. And these are Tom Selleck's, or Frank Reagan's, kids. The youngest kid, his name's Jamie. Uh, when the show first started, he was just getting started as a police officer. And after he'd been a police officer for quite a while, they put a rookie with him. This rookie's name was Eddie Jenko. Well, sounds like he had a guy with him, but he didn't. Uh, she was a young lady with beautiful blonde hair. And so they were partnered together, and he was supposed to take her and train her. Well, they worked together for quite a long time. And they tried to keep their relationship extremely professional. And, uh, of course, they were together for a long time. They began to develop feelings for each other, but they put them aside and tried to just do the job. And, uh, but... Further into the episodes, there was a time when both of them nearly got killed. And when that happened, they realized they needed to be honest about their feelings for each other. And they ended up engaged. Well, this family, every Sunday, has a Sunday dinner at, the, at, their, at uh, Grandpa's house. And the Grandpa and the Dad 
live together in the same house and everybody gathers around the table and there's, there's never episode that goes by in all these years when they don't at some point in time in the show they're around this table. Frank's at one end, grandpa's at the other, the kids and grandkids down the side. One day they were waiting and waiting and waiting on young Jamie to get there and they were getting pretty perturbed because you're supposed to be on time for Sunday dinner. He finally showed up but when he showed up he was carrying a chair and he came into the table, he moved his chair over and put another chair there, and then he went back out of the room, and then he brought in Eddie Jenko and announced that they were engaged and sat her down at the table. Well, after a while, they were married, and uh, regular, she's a regular at the table now, you know, learned how to be a part of the family, and uh, I just, the reason I tell you that story is it involves a table, it involves a family, and it involves bringing people to it. Now, what I want to ask you is this. When it comes to the table in the Lord's family, here's an example of it right here. And on this table, we have some cups, we have some pieces of bread, we have some juice, which is the fruit of the grape, uh, people come to this table. When was the first time anybody ever came to the Lord's table and celebrated the Lord's Supper? We just read about it in the Gospel of Mark. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it says that in this passage that on the Passover, before Jesus was crucified, he sent two of his disciples to go and prepare the Passover. Then he met there with the 12 apostles and they shared the Passover meal together. He brought them to the table and there they shared that meal. When it comes to the Lord's table, I'm going to ask you a question. Who brought you? Who brought you to the Lord's table? Communion time. Can you remember your very first time to partake of communion, the Lord's Supper? Anybody remember that? How long ago has it been? The Lord's table. Remember the first time you came there? Now you may not be able to do that, but I can. And I can remember it for a particular reason. The first time I shared at the table in communion. Only it wasn't the Lord's table, it was a kitchen table. It was a kitchen table in a church kitchen after the worship service. I was 10 years old. I decided to give my, Lord, my, my life to the Lord out at Hidden Haven Camp. The following Sunday, my dad baptized me along with another boy my age who had gone to camp. We were both baptized at the end of the service. When we got out of the baptistry and got dressed, we were just off of the kitchen. This other boy's grandma was in charge of taking care of all the communion. She prepared it, and then she cleaned up afterwards. When we got dressed and came out into the kitchen, there were still some, still some cups left in the trays. Guess what Glenn and I did? We had communion. Now, there wasn't anybody offering a prayer, and we weren't at an, in the worship service, but we had communion at a kitchen table. Who brought me? Who brought you to the table? How long has it been since you've thought about who brought you to the table? 
If I think back, I would have to say my parents, mainly. They saw to it that I was involved every Sunday. They saw to it I was there. I observed other people as an eight, nine, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old partaking the Lord's Supper on Sunday. I knew why one, one day I would myself. And then finally at Hidden Haven Camp, I decided to give my life to Christ, was baptized, and I began to do it myself. Whoever it was that brought you to the table, was it maybe your parents, maybe a close friend? Maybe, it, maybe you went to Hidden Haven Camp like I did, and you had a counselor or somebody there who spoke, spoke to you about Christ, and you made your decision there to give your life to Christ and were baptized either there or back home when you came, went home to church at home. But here's the thing. I believe that once in a while, when we come to the Lord's table and recognize the tremendous privilege it is, we ought to try to remember and be thankful for the people who first brought us there. What did they do for us? They had a hand in introducing us to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. They had a hand in convincing us that something we really needed to do was turn life over to him as we were buried in baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, there's, there's just two things, two commands that Christ gives us that, the Bible, that we find in the Bible that connect us with the blood of Jesus. Just two. One is baptism into the death of Christ, like Paul describes it, where, we're con where we, we, God connects us with the death of Jesus where he shed his blood. And then after that, it's when we share in communion. What did Jesus say here? He said, take, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant poured out for many. And Matthew adds the phrase, for the forgiveness of sins. For the forgiveness of sins. So, I think a good thing to do is to be thankful, not only for what Christ has done for us, but for those who had a hand in bringing us to the table. But you know, there's something about familiarity. In, in the beginning, I wasn't that familiar with it. I'd seen other people do it. Now, after a long time, I'm very familiar with this. But you know what happens when we get really, really familiar with something? Sometimes we don't give it much thought. Is it ever possible to be so familiar with something you don't think much about it? It just is just there. You know, there's a lot of things that kind of get that way. And it occurred to me that sometimes it's relationships. You know, we are so familiar with the people who are around us that we don't give them a whole lot of thought. We're so familiar with the things that we generally do and, and, and regularly do, we don't give it a lot of thought. Sometimes relationships are extremely important to us, but we're so familiar with the relationship, we don't give it the thought it deserves with the passing of time. So let me ask you this. Somebody brought you to the table. How many years ago has it been? Well, for some, maybe less than a year. For some, maybe five or ten. For some, maybe ten or twenty. Am I getting close to some of you? Some, maybe thirty or forty. So, you know how long it's been for me? Next July, I've been coming to this table for 65 years. Next, next, well, yes, next July. That's when I was baptized in July. And you know what happens after so many years of doing it? It becomes just so familiar. There's no guesswork involved anymore. Everything's just kind of routine and ordinary, and we're just used to it. 
there's something that happened recently that kind of changed that for me. When things closed down last year and we ended up at home for worship service and it was on screen. Every Sunday we would sometimes we'd see Mike, sometimes we'd see our son Jamie over at Deering. We'd tune into, you know, sometimes we tried to, it, when the when it, when the services were apart, when we went back to the early service, we could we could do both. And uh, doing it there at home, first time I ever participated in worship service from a recliner. But there between us on a lamp table, Carol always had couple of pieces of broken up cracker and small cups with grape juice in them. Well, you know, doing it there at home, we took our time. We weren't having to pass a tray. We weren't having to take a cup out, drink it, and put it back in a tray. And there was time involved. And I began to think about more about what I was doing. I, I, would, I would hold the cup for a while and look at it before I drank it. Um, I've done that here. When we started getting back together, now during, they have the little disposable cups with the bread in the top, and I learned to work on that cover before the service started because there was one Sunday I couldn't get it off, and I never did get the juice. It was a little difficult, you know. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is I had time with that cup you know, over there, and here... What I have chosen to do, and since Carol had total knee surgery a few weeks ago, and she's doing fine now, but I would I told her to stay in her seat, and I got up and got us two cups and took it back, and we we did it there, and I always waited till the last second when communion time was over before I drank it, because I was busy looking at that cup. I'm going to ask you another question. I already asked you, who brought you to the table? This is the quest next question I want to ask you. What is in your communion cup? What's in it? Ever thought about that? Well, preacher, tastes like grape juice to me. Well, some religious groups use actual wine, but only a select few get to drink it and everybody else gets the bread. Uh, I'd heard of missionaries in the past. When I was in camp, they would talk about going to remote areas no refrigeration, you know, can't carry a bunch of bottles of grape juice with them when they go out of these areas to the villages. What they would do, they'd, they'd take gra grape drink milk mix and use it. What's in your cup? For some, it's wine. For all of us, it's grape juice. For some, it might be a grape mixed drink. But is that what's really in your cup? Jesus said... When he gave him the cup and said, all of you drink of it, he said, this is my blood. Now, I'm not supposing that it actually became his blood, although there are those religious groups which teach that there is a miracle to take place that causes it to do that. Jesus makes it real clear on the very original Lord's Supper. He says, I say to you, I shall never drink again of the fruit of the vine, which tells you he just drank of the fruit of the vine. It did not suddenly become his blood. But he calls it that. I want to take you to another passage of Scripture. This is found in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
Now, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 is concerned about the followers of Christ in the city of Corinth and uh, the possibility of them becoming involved in idolatry. The city of Corinth had idols everywhere, pagan worship. They sacrificed to these idols. And a lot of the times, when they, whenever they would sacrifice to the idol, they'd take the meat that was left over uh, after the sacrifice, and they'd sell it in the marketplaces. And there was some turmoil among the Christians there in Corinth as to what to do about that. But the Apostle Paul did not want them to get involved in idol worship in any way whatsoever. So he, he starts out talking about Israel. And notice what he says in the first two or three verses. Chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and were all, bab and were all, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. The rock was Christ. Now, he makes a comparison here between what the Israelites were doing after being delivered out of Egypt, an idolatrous nation, delivered through the Red Sea, which he says was their baptism. And then in the wilderness, they had this manna, which God provided. So they had, he's saying that was a spiritual food. And then he's later on going to compare it down, down in 16 to the Lord's Supper, communion. Now, what is his reason for that? He points out in the verses between those two passages how the Israelites in the desert became idolatrous, became immoral. They began to go back to the ways of Egypt that God had delivered them from. One of the main gods of Egypt was represented in the form of a bull called Apis. When Moses was on Sinai and didn't come back for a while, the people got together, they brought their gold, gold together, had Aaron make for them a golden calf in the form of the Egyptian god of Apis. When Moses came down, they were worshiping this calf and they were doing many things that, God, that displeased God. They were punished severely. Now, you go on down to verse 16, verse 14. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolaties. I speak to wise men, you judge what I say. I'm going to read a few verses. Is not the cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread which we break a sharing in the body of Christ? Since there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Look at the nation Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices sharers in the altar? What do I mean then? That a thing sacrificed to idols or any, is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become sharers with demons. He said, look, you and I both know that these sacrifices, the food that they sacrifice to idols, and the idol itself is nothing. It's just material. But they do this to worship demons, and demons are something. Demons do exist. And I do not want you to be a worshiper of demons. Well, how could they be thought to be a worshiper of demons? He goes on. He says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. These people were already familiar with communion and the Lord's Supper. They understood. He says, is not the cupping, cup of blessing which we bless a sharing in the blood of Jesus Christ? You know it is. Is not the bread which we break 
a sharing in the body of Christ? You know it is. Well, then how can you go and share in a feast with, where food has been offered and meat has been offered to worship an idol and think that's okay? You know that when you share in the Lord's Supper, that connects you with Christ, both his body and his blood. How do you think you can eat the other feast and not be connected with the demons? It's obvious. And then he says, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Look what he did to the Israelites when they did the same thing. And then he says, we are not stronger than the Lord, than the Lord are we? Do we dare to do that? Well, the obvious answer is no. For the call of Christ, no. But the point I want to make here is this. The cup of blessing which we bless, it does not say it is a sharing of the grape juice or the wine or the grape drink. It says it is a sharing of the blood of Christ. What blood? Which blood? The blood that dripped from his brow as he sweat blood in the garden where he prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That blood? Was it the blood that was shed when he was beaten by the Jews? Was it the blood that was shed when he was taken by the Romans and beaten with a cat of nine tails and his back ripped open and the blood dripped out on the ground? Was it that blood? Was it the blood that ran down the sides of his head and down in his face when they crushed the crown of thorns down on his head? Or was it the blood that came from his right wrist or his left wrist or his feet when they drove the nails in? Or was it the blood that came out of his side when the soldiers thrust his spear in and the blood and water ran out of his side and down the cross onto the ground? Jesus said he gave the apostles a cup. And he said, all of you drink of it. For this is my blood of the covenant. Which is for many. For the forgiveness of sins. What I'm suggesting is this. If in any way, any way possible that you can. And I'm not telling you have to do this. I'm just telling you what it's done for me for the, the method of doing things changing. And having that cup in my hand for a moment or two. And thinking about what Christ has done for me through his shed blood on the cross. And realizing that when I drink that, as far as he is concerned, that drink is just as important as if I was drinking his blood. Because that's what he called it. This is my blood, which he shed for many, for the forgiveness of sins. All of you, drink of it. We're going to go into the Lord's Supper right now. And if it's convenient for you to come and rather than drink it at the table, I'm going to pick up the cups and go back and sit with Carol, my wife. And we're going to sit there and just hold it a while. And think about what Jesus said and what that really means to me. So, you're coming to the table today again. Who brought you the first time? Be thankful for them. They got it started for you. 
And as you share in this, think about what's in your cup as far as God is concerned. All right? We're going to sing the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus.